The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch Edition for August 31st, 2022. I'm Katie Mariner, data journalist and interactives developer for Market Watch. Uh, joining me today is Brian Glick, founder and CEO of Chain.io, for a wide-ranging look at how the supply chain is moving as we head into peak season and as we're coming off a year of uh, of explosive growth. So uh, welcome, Brian. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for today. having me. So, Brian, give us a little insight into Chain.io and how your work there gives you a glimpse into, into how all aspects of, of the supply chain are moving. So we're a, comp- a technology company that helps the different players in the supply chain exchange data between themselves. So when warehouses have to talk to ocean companies to get things delivered, all those computer systems, we help with the interaction and the organization of all of that data so that people can actually get packages from one place to another. Okay, excellent, perfect. So what I what I will start with though is based on a story that uh, I wrote from Market Watch. Um, so last year, Market Watch set out to keep tabs on container volume at the nine largest ports in the United States to get a pulse on the amount of activity and goods that are passing through these main ports of entry in the United States. So in 2021, containerized imported goods increased 17.6% from 2020. Uh, It's kind of a sign that people took more advantage of e-commerce as coronavirus restrictions prevented spending on services. And between 2020 and 2021, a similar metric total TEUs, total traffic moving in and out of the ports, uh, total container volume increased by 16%. Now, that was already explosive growth that that ports had had to contend with. And looking in the first six months of 2022, comparing that to the same period in 2021, the rate of containers passing through the ports has slowed, but volume is, is still up from, from that already large number uh, from the previous year. So uh, what I want to know, um, Brian, is is what you're seeing based, based on these metrics. How have ports adjusted their operations uh, due to this increased container traffic we saw last year and the, the growth on top of that? So I think the ports in general are are still struggling. Um, they're, you know, the type of investment you have to make at a port, both in uh, labor and in the systems and equipment to really change these dynamics to, is investments in, in the course of decades, not in the course of months. Uh, so uh, there's still a lot of just struggling through the fight. Uh, what we have seen is this, the shipper community starting to diversify across ports, which has caused pain in some places where maybe it was all focused on LA and Long Beach uh, when it was at the top of the news. Uh, now you're seeing some pain on the East Coast and some you know, loosening there. And so that that shifting around of the problem 
uh, has created new problems and relieved some old ones. But in, in aggregate, it's still uh, there's really not an incredible amount that can be done over over a year uh, in, in this industry. I see, I see. And you did mention that port activity has moved from the from the West Coast to to the East Coast. Um, a couple of data points there uh, loaded. Uh, excuse me. Uh, see total total TEUs. Um, we see we've seen a decrease uh, based on the first six months of this year. We've seen a decrease at the ports of Oakland, uh, Seattle, Tacoma, and a little bit uh, at the port of, of Los Angeles. However, uh, the East Coast ports that we track and plus Houston has just seen explosive growth, especially Houston loaded imports. Excuse me, total TEUs uh, are up. 18% and then loaded imports up up 22%. So with this with this shifting around uh, what has been the main the main driver of that do you think? So we're when shippers think about where they're going to deliver product there's a lot of other components that have to go into that you're placing orders months in advance and oftentimes setting those plans in motion a lot earlier and then you have to make sure you have trucking and warehousing and all of the other things after the port so it took some time for shippers to be able to adjust their supply chains so they're really reacting to last year and that's where we see this diversification uh, in combination with a lot of concern around the labor situations on the west coast and how those uh, could create problems so uh, supply chain leaders are looking at diversification as a, as a strategy here to make sure that they don't have all of their eggs in that one basket. So that's that in turn, they are the consumers of the port services and are in turn uh, kind of voting with their wallets to take a more diverse strategy. Okay, I see. Gotcha. So you you mentioned you mentioned some of these labor issues uh, on the West Coast. Uh, I'm I'm probably thinking more more California with with AB five um, and the truckers, um, and then also a couple of uh, of potential strikes um, from the International Longshore Workers Union. Um, what can you go into uh, any of that? Uh, maybe update on this an update on the status of that. Yeah, the the I'll focus mainly on the pending strike where uh, we are past the contract deadlines and the the administration along with the port uh, the ports and the union are continuing to negotiate. They are doing a impressive job of being very quiet in their negotiations, which is usually a sign that that things are not too horrible. Uh, but the heat is starting to come up a bit as uh, you know the longer you go without a resolution. I think everyone understands that given these volumes and given the, the fragile state of the economy, nobody really wants a strike right now. Uh, but as a supply chain professional uh, at, or as a supply chain planner, we, much like the markets, don't like uncertainty. So the looming potential for a strike is you're making a decision about something that may arrive in that port in 100 days from now. You could be sending an order to a, a factory in China today planning on sending it to LA and then have it go right into the middle of that strike action. So that is another reason why people are sending more to the East Coast to sort of hedge against that potential behavior. 
And uh, you mentioned uh, a lot of this is about uncertainty. So that kind of leads to to my next question, uh, going, stepping a little bit uh, to this, the process of the supply chain that happens before, before things get to the ports and that's uh, ordering factory orders, retail orders. What are, what are we seeing? Are you seeing anything that is, that is notable that might give us some indication into how things might go as, as we enter, enter peak season? Uh, you know, I, I just read a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of filings with with companies that where they have this excess inventory and they're planning you know multiple they're planning you know far out for changes that are just constant things are constantly changing uh so i'm wondering if you're seeing a little bit of that uncertainty and so, yeah yeah we're seeing we're seeing some mixed signals out there still uh, so you see the filings from the large big box retailers and the like uh, about excess inventory. Uh, but at the same time, when we look at the, the volumes going into the ports, we are, we're not seeing the seasonal fluctuation maybe as big as we would have expected. But if you look at the total year, you know, you're still looking at the potential in many ports for either the second largest year in their history or the largest year in their history or something, certainly top five. So. Uh, while we're coming off of 2021 levels, you know, we sort of baseline against 2019, and we're still going to be way, way up from from kind of before all of this started. Uh, I think there is potential that what we're seeing is that the filings are always from the largest companies, and that's what everybody looks at in the Walmarts and the Amazons of the world. But you've got so many other industries that are still struggling to catch up, whether that's you know, automotive and the chip shortages or, or smaller businesses that have been unable to move product at all uh, who are catching up that I think there's uh, sometimes a little bit of a tendency to over-index on just those largest players in the market. Uh, so when we look at the data of the actual containers that's moving, it is not as soft as you would expect based on uh, kind of the doom and gloom stories about the economic situation. Okay. So inflation and maybe a slowdown in, in consumer in consumer spending. I'm I'm hearing that we're we might be comparing we might be comparing data to an abnormal year and very much so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No. We are. Uh, I think a lot of the analysis when you look at it on a trend line going back to 2015 or 2014 and then through 2019 most of those trend lines we are sitting still on this north of where we would have been anyway so uh, you know container pricing being a great example where you may have had a two thousand dollar rate that went to 20 and now we're saying oh it's way down it's at six but six is a heck of a lot more than two uh, so the the softening is there, but it's not, uh, you know, it's softening from a very extreme position on every single metric, you know, whether that's the time it takes things to happen, how much they cost or, or the ability to even get things done. Okay. And almost, an almost correction of sorts, but it's, it, we're, we're still at elevated levels from you know, Absolutely. Previous, a previous baseline. Okay. Now heading back to um, 
back to back to the ports themselves, there has been a lot of conversation around dwell times, uh, the time that containers are, are dwelling at ports. Uh, and I'm curious if you have any insight into where where this problem may be, if it's related to rail uh, not operating efficiently, um, you know, truck drivers, you're not there, there not being enough truck drivers to get containers um, out of the ports or if, or if it's something else, what's kind of that, what, 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 what are the big problems when it comes to getting the containers out of the ports and towards their final destination? So I think the overarching problem is the labor market and the tightness in the, in the jobs market. Um, the ability to staff warehouses was, as we, as we watched the pandemic unfold, that became the, the root cause that a lot of things walked back from. So if I can't unload my container, I can't return it to the port. Uh, I, I don't have room in my yard. So therefore I'm gonna leave the next container at the port and then that gets stacked with other containers and then everything compounds. And the next thing you know, you've got a full port, which reduces the efficiency in the port. So these knock-on effects just walk all the way up the supply chain through the rail yards um, and every everywhere else. And so you've now got a situation where we've hit that that critical point where everything is hard because everything is full and you have no slack capacity. So that problem really has not resolved itself in any meaningful way. Uh, and I think until until there is some softening in, in these volumes and uh, there's there's really not a lot of immediate hope uh, for for that stuff resolving itself. There's no magical way that that's going to just come back and, and suddenly we cleared it out. And is there any indication on if this is at every port or are is this more focused on maybe more of the East Coast ports? Because I know in, in uh, a news conference that the Port of L.A. did, um, last week or the week before last, uh, they mentioned their um, their uh, the head of, of their port mentioned that they're you know they're open up they're open for business and they're you know they're they're welcoming uh, new containers um, and uh, uh, let me see and if they're opening um, it's like they they're seeing some of their dwell times and their capacity available. So is this uh, is this everywhere or? maybe just at, at a couple of I, I think I think conditions on the West Coast at least anecdotally are improving uh, the East Coast the teams running the ports in the East Coast are now suddenly experiencing the problem that LA was sorting itself through last year but uh, you mentioned the rail and uh, issues in Chicago so you need to get something from one coast to the another on rail it's likely going through that area and that area right now is uh, you know, I'm reading reading uh, stories and talking to customers who are saying, you know, add another week or two just to get through Chicago. Uh, so, you know, you're talking about 25, 30 percent add-ons to your to your transit times. Uh, so, I would not say I would say that the LA situation is a little unique in that they already had the worst. So it's easy from that point to say, oh yeah, we're getting better. My, my 104 degree fever is down to a hundred degree fever is, is a lot of improvement and I feel better, but I'm still, still not quite all the way there. So I think that may, that may be a little bit of a, 
of how that's playing out. So. Okay. Okay. Kind of the common theme of, well, things were really ramped up and really congested and, and like, and unlike anything we've seen before, but, uh, and there's finally a little bit of relief, but that relief is still, is still very elevated, very high. Now you mentioned, you mentioned this issue of, 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 you know, containers being stuck, not really having anywhere to go because of, because of these labor, of these labor shortages, kind of the backs, backups uh, along, along the supply chain. Uh, how is that playing out when it comes to warehousing? And, you know, these, these, you know, citing the big box stores again with, with, with that have excess inventory, as they mentioned uh, in their earnings, uh, is that is that a common theme uh, that we might see implications for as well heading into the fall? Uh, I think so. I mean, I, th I I think there are a lot of warehouse managers out there in the industry who are a little bit excited to have some excess inventory because it means that their teams can take a breath and they can uh, get you know staff and start getting some normalization. I'm sure they're the executives above them are less excited uh, and the CFOs especially. But um, there's you know, if there is some softening, it provides some of that slack that we need in order to work through these backlogs and um, also, you know, more labor availability that would also potentially come from that softening helps align some of these things that have just been uh, compounding on top of each other. So, you know, when you when you start disassembling the the components of a compounding problem, it can get a lot better quickly if if two or three of them fall into place. So, uh, if the, the hope that is out there is that if we can, you know, put some more people in these facilities and have a little bit less throughput going through them, then we can get some of this not just work the backlog, but improve the flow of the system overall. We have to think of it as a a constantly moving machine, and so you have to unjam it without stopping the machine, which is uh, not the easiest thing in the world. So. Right, right. So with that uh, going, I think after, after the warehouses, you have to get these empty containers back to the ports uh, to get put on another ship to, to head back overseas to be restocked with more goods. Uh, this is kind of a problem that has that has fascinated me, and I've kind of asked around a lot about about empty containers and just the sheer volume of the empty containers that are being exported. Uh, I even saw it mentioned in uh, the press release announcing at the Port of New York in New Jersey uh, the empty container problem, um, which led to uh, you know dwell fees being implemented. Are you? Is that something that you keep track of, uh, just the sheer volume of empty containers that are around, if that's causing more congestion, or are you seeing anything? I mean, it, it certainly is. Uh, you know, there's a physical component to this, and when these when these containers are sitting there, it makes it harder to operate the port. It means there's nowhere to offload new ones. Uh, that's where we would saw all those backlogs, uh, all those pictures of the Pacific Ocean last year with all those ships in LA. Um, we are seeing some innovative solutions starting to come in. 
Uh, so we're we're based in Philadelphia, and they uh, one of the carriers has started bringing ships into Philadelphia to try to move containers down from New York, uh, to to take them down the road and just load up the empties and and bring them back that way to start getting them out. And so uh, the carriers. They don't want the empties sitting around either. Uh, that's an asset that could be that could they could be getting paid for. So uh, there is we're starting to see some creativity. I think part of the moving of the problem to those nine ports instead of just one port complex gives you some flexibility for things to move around and for those type of things to happen. Uh, it also takes a little time uh, for people to come up with creative solutions like that. You don't just send the ship overnight. So. Uh, you know, all in all, though, nobody really wants those empties around, uh, you know, and it it's going to get better. Um, but there's, like most things, no magic bullet, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, creating, creating slack in the system, it takes a little takes a little bit of time. That seems to be the main, the main, the main theme here. Uh, so we've talked a lot about problems. But what are some of the solutions? Um, I know um, your company does uh, is creating uh, using technology to help you know create more visibility uh, along along the supply chain. Um, and I actually I wanted to get your thoughts um, on the uh, the White House's supply chain um, task force uh, mm -hmm. and their um, and their call to share data. Um, with each other data on that that these third party companies have. Um, do you do you have any thoughts about um, the the promise of that, or um, if it's or, or your your thoughts on that? Yeah, we're we're very bullish on it. Uh, the as one of the private companies that moves in and has that data, there's sometimes a little bit of resistance to those things but it's it's a great opportunity and and it's something the government has lots of experience in which is collecting large amounts of data and giving it back to us in a way that is uh, anonymous enough but still useful whether that's economic data labor data the like and so i think the things that the administration are doing to facilitate conversations which you know, we've seen some of the insides of those of those conversations, and they are happening in a very positive and constructive way to work with the private sector to solve these problems, as opposed to uh, just having a bright idea and imposing a, a program that might take decades to implement. So uh, we think that that is a very, very good role for the government is to provide the leadership to help all of us think about this data problem and get this data uh, moving so that we can create the kind of indicators that many other industries, whether it's finance or healthcare, would already have in their in their government data to be able to make good decisions to avoid this problem happening again. I don't think that data is gonna that data is not gonna move a single empty container out of the port of of New Jersey or New York today, but it will allow supply chain planners next year and 10 years from now to not create this bottleneck again. Okay, right. Yes, as a data journalist, uh, I'm very happy for any sort of open data that exists <laughs> as well. So <laughs> so in, in, that, in that sense, uh, I'm also 
uh, I'm also uh, happy for for that. There, as well. are, there are good things coming in the future for you then. Good, great, excellent. Happy to hear it. Uh, now we have uh, one reader question that has been submitted from Craig um, for you. So why has U.S. port performance been so dismal compared to its global peers? That is a politically charged question. Mm, okay. Uh, what what I will say is that there is. The, the conventional knowledge that the, the ports and that the uh, a lot of people in the shipper community would say is that uh, a lack of automation is is a, is a piece of that. Uh, the, the unions would, would argue that that's that's not the case. Uh, I think another another thing that's important is it's very hard to compare port performance in a country that is centrally managed and controlled to one like the U.S. where we have private actors doing almost every activity in the port. So, you know, if you're in a place like China or you're in a place like Singapore, they can dictate how that entire flow is planned and run. Whereas here, there are many, many constituencies, multiple labor unions, multiple port operators. Every trucker is virtually an independent company. Uh, and all of those things together, we can't just make a blanket statement that the entire port of Los Angeles is going to operate differently tomorrow they can kind of do that in other countries, which makes, uh, makes, for, it makes for efficiency and good metrics, but often comes with a lot of trade-offs that I don't think we would find acceptable as a society. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Well, uh, I guess I, I wanna ask you and kind of give the, give the floor to you for a minute um, to maybe address um, maybe anything that we haven't touched on today, what, what's maybe the biggest thing that you are uh, either concerned about uh, when it comes to the supply chain as we head into, into peak season or anything promising that, that you're seeing? You know, I think the thing that we're excited about is that across supply chain, every company in the supply chain, the last two years has accelerated the pace of innovation uh, a decade. So we actually did projections uh, in 2017, 18, uh, we call it buzzwords to watch, right? These are the things, and this is how long it's going to take before something like machine learning affects your business or blockchain or big data. Uh, and on every one of those, the we are where we thought we would be in 2027 uh, based on this forced innovation that has come. So when we look over the next five to 10 years, the we're going to benefit from that huge deposit in our bank account of innovation, all the interest that's going to compound from that over the next few years is going to let us do things that we would not have seen for another generation if we hadn't all come together to solve these problems. Okay. And uh, what are uh, what are some of these? Um, can you go into a little more specifics? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, just the ability for companies to uh, quickly buy freight online has been accelerated. So I'm stuck in a situation and my current provider or I'm a small business and I need to buy online that the the ability to do that, you know, instead of having to call somebody and wait a week for them to give you a quote to move something on an ocean container has accelerated immensely. And the, the all of this data collaboration and the ability for large companies to uh, track every container uh, we're starting to see the devices deployed so that they will be able to see a real-time position of every container uh, in the world in real time and understand where it is and when it's moving. Uh, those things, we knew they would come eventually, but 
we thought it would be another 10 years before you'd be able to see that map with every dot with the actual little beacon and the carriers are starting to roll it out now so uh those things make for some really cool features where that look a lot more like a sci-fi movie <laughs> yes. it sounds like a little bit of a hybrid between the u.s what you how u.s ports were performing before the operating before the pandemic mixed with the our, our global peers who are it is more centralized but there's also that technology there that that allows them that allows them to see um kind of what's going on on the ground absolutely more real time all right well that's great um well that is all the time we have for today. So thank you for being here, Brian. Um, and thanks everyone for listening. Um, we hope you listen to our next episode tomorrow. Uh, Baron Senior Managing Editor, Lauren R. Rublin and Associate Editor for Technology, Eric Savitz discuss the outlook for tech companies and individual stocks. In addition, please join MarketWatch for the Best New Ideas in Money Festival on September 21st and 22nd in New York City. You can learn more at moneyfestival.marketwatch.com. And that URL again, uh, moneyfestival.marketwatch.com. Thank you again for listening. Stay safe and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.